and welcome to the What in the Youth podcast, a podcast for parents about youth. I'm your host, Brady Robinson. In this podcast, we will look at teen culture and how we shepherd them toward the gospel of Jesus in the midst of their busy lives. This podcast is intended for parents, and we will be speaking plainly and honestly about a wide variety of topics, and some will be mature in nature. I recommend you listen to this podcast without your team present. If you want to engage with other parents and myself on what is presented here, please like our Facebook page called What in the Youth Podcast. Now, without further ado, let's talk. Hello and welcome back. My apologies that it has been so long since the last episode, but we are back and we are rolling. And I hope that this resource is of great help for you as you disciple your teenagers. Many of your students have picked up a copy of the book, 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If your student has not picked up a copy, I do have multiple copies as a gift for them. And if they would like it, please let me know. If you would like one, please let me know. It is a book written to students, specifically early teens. So it's fairly easy to read. The chapters are short and the metaphors and imagery is definitely geared towards them. For the next several months, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make these podcast episodes using the chapters of that book as a guide. And I'll give some points of discussion and things to think about as your teen and as you interact with that book. And if and if you're not reading the book, these, these episodes will still be helpful. I will try to give general thoughts and questions and things to think about so that it can be of help to you, whatever your level of interaction with the book is. The first chapter of the book is called, How Can I Live My Best Life Now? That is the first question that she tackles. And her big theme is mental and physical health and the benefits of the Christian life in those areas. Let's talk culture for a little bit. And one big difference between how the gospel works and how our culture works. In our culture, practically everything we do, we have to earn. From the time that we're little and from the time our kids are little, we teach them that if you eat your food, then you can have dessert. If you do your chores, then you can watch TV. Then they start school. And if there they do their homework, then they earn a good grade. If they're funny, likable, or whatever it is, then they get friends. If they practice hard, then they earn a spot on the team. Then they earn playing time. Then they earn a role in the play or the dance. At some point, they start thinking about dating. And if they are good looking enough or charming enough or nice enough, then the boy or girl will notice them. And it doesn't let up. If they keep their grades up, then they will earn scholarship and can get into the college they want in order to earn the job they want, to earn the money that they want. They see their parents and how they work hard and notice that if they do a good job, then they get promoted and make more money. I don't know if there's much of anything in our culture that you do not have to earn in some way, shape, or form. Our culture is also obsessed with achievement, and the earlier that you can reach it, the better. 
It's no wonder that our kids are susceptible to anxiety. Which Rich Karlgaard wrote a book called Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. In the book, he writes this, quote, We're not wrong to recognize and congratulate early bloomers. Their achievements deserve acknowledgement. But our culture's obsession with early achievement has become detrimental to the majority of the population, to the multitudes of us who develop in different ways and at different paces. It pushes the message that if you haven't become famous, reinvented an industry, or banked seven figures while you're still young enough to get carded, you've somehow made a wrong turn in life, end quote. This book addresses a lot more issues that are woven inside this big issue, but I really want to uh, focus on this anxiety piece. Anxiety is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Think about all those things we have talked about. Each one of those is technically an uncertain outcome in that Add that to the fact that others are achieving more and doing more than you, and ultimately add one more important factor, identity. And you have a mixture that equals high levels of anxiety. Our kids work so incredibly hard at certain things, and then they end up becoming their identity. Or they work incredibly hard at certain things because it is their identity. Which comes first? I'm sure you could argue both ways. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation there. But the point is that when our identity is in something that is uncertain, that natural anxiety gets exponentially bigger than it otherwise would have been. Now, how does this happen? I actually think a better question is how could this not happen? Think about the schedule of an average teenager. Think about your teenager. Where is a heavy majority of their time spent? School? Homework? Which I talk to kids regularly who tell me that they stay up extremely late on a regular basis doing their homework. What about sports and or extracurricular practice or games or, or performances? And when they're home, what dominates the conversation? From my observation, It is how those things are going. That's typically what dominates the conversation. And also say that there's church or a church event or a family thing and there's a sporting event or an extracurricular event. Which one of those typically wins out the day? Again, in my observation, the extracurricular event wins out pretty much every time. So what happens when one of those things does not work out in the precise way that they wanted it to. I've met with students who were devastated by something that at the end of the day does not play that consequential of a role in their life. Why? Because identity, pressure, and their anxiety has been built up. Oh, and you can add to that the social pressure they face every time they open one of their social media apps. Our kids are trapped in a corner And some even feel like they are drowning and they have no raft to hold on to. Rebecca McLaughlin makes some observations that I believe speak directly to these issues by giving seven evidences that going to church and following Jesus is actually what is best, not only for a student spiritually, but mentally and physically as well. 
She writes this on page 28, quote, We all know that eating more fruits and vegetables is good for us. But it turns out that going to church once a week or more is equally good for you. We all know smoking is bad for you, but going to church once a week or more is almost as good for you as stopping smoking. Professor Vanderweel's research has also found that children who are brought up going to church tend to end up being happier and having a greater sense of purpose in their lives than those raised non-religious, end quote. Think about that quote, saying that going to church weekly or more than once a week is just as good for you physically as quitting smoking. That is an amazing find and an amazing evidence of research. We often communicate with our children, even unintentionally, what are the most important things they can do slash spend their time on. We do this by what we schedule around and what our conversations center on. Often we say that Jesus is what is most important, but we do not show that and we do not show them that. Maybe because the other things have a practicality about them that ends up pushing Jesus, church, and conversations around those things to the periphery. Back to the difference between culture and the gospel. We talked about how the culture is achievement-driven and you earn things, you have to earn things. The gospel frees us from that anxiety because all of a sudden we aren't accepted loved, or moved up because of our achievements. We are given a free gift. We don't have to earn the love of our great God. He graciously gives it to us. He lavishes it upon us. And when our kids are truly pointed there above everything else, then their identity can be set firmly in Jesus, which frees us from anxiety. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what our kids need above all else. Let's point them consistently to what they actually need. And the other stuff will fall into its proper place and they will then be the gifts that God has intended them to be for us. Psalm 42 starts off like this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Our kids' souls are thirsty. And so often they're trying to satisfy them in ponds and lakes that will not satisfy. We need to make sure they know where the only place their souls will be satisfied is. Being at church regularly, weekly, being around other believers, hearing from God's word, learning about Jesus is truly what is best for them, not just spiritually, but physically and mentally as well. So the question is, Do you actually believe that that is what is best for them? And if yes, then our calendars and our conversations should reflect that. Here are, and we'll finish up here, here are some practical ways that you can do this. First, you can have family worship on a weekly basis. 
Now, you might have heard Pastor David mention this before, and you might have even thought, I wish I could do that. I don't even know where to start. Well, I have two resources for you. First is a short book called Family Worship by Donald S. Whitney. And when I say short, I do mean short. It is only 71 pages long. And it's a practical help that will just help get you started. Very easy read, very easy to apply. You can find it on any online store. Another book is called Family Worship Bible Guide by Reformation Heritage Books. It's edited by Joel R. Beek. It gives a few thoughts and questions to help with discussion on every chapter of the Bible specifically geared towards family worship. And now that book sounds like it would be quite large, but it's also fairly small and really easy to flip through. It's extremely rich and helpful. Secondly, you can have your kids in church weekly and then talk about church together. Engage with the sermon. Engage with the songs. We lead by example, by showing them that not only should they value church, but that we value church. So we should change our calendars and schedule around the Lord's day and be there with the body of Christ. Third, we can serve and we can serve with our kids. This gets them invested. And again, another thing that McLaughlin points out in her book is how serving is actually really good for us in ways beyond spiritual. And lastly, we can have our kids be involved. Here at NAPC, we have a youth group that meets multiple times a month. We meet on the first and third Sunday of the month. It's a great time for your kids to worship with other teens, to study the Bible in a lesson that is geared towards them as we learn about his word, as we learn about Jesus and how we can follow him. And on the second Sunday of the month, with all of these things that we've talked about in mind and you discipling your kids, We have Youth Night Plus, where we invite you as a parent to come to youth group. And at these, we hope to equip you. We hope to help you as you disciple your kids on a daily basis to know Jesus. And and part of what we do is we give you different conversation starters and things you can do to help in those conversations as you point your teen to Jesus. We as a church are praying for you as parents. You are the number one discipler of your kids. It's a heavy responsibility, but it is one that we as parents must take seriously. It is in our kids' best interest, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of What in the Youth Podcast. Remember, If you have any questions or would like to interact with other parents, you can visit us on our Facebook page called What in the Youth.